Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. We'll be talking college football with Brett McMurphy coming up in 20 minutes. OutKick 360 rolls on across the OutKick network. Crew is all here. Great staff as well. 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and, and Old Smoky Moonshine. Come by and see us next time you're in Music City. We're about to be joined by Armando Salguero. The big headline today, Judge Sue L. Robinson, former federal judge, uh, the independent uh, judge in this case for Deshaun Watson, announced a, a six-game suspension for Deshaun Watson from the Cleveland Browns. And we've been diving into that over the last two hours. We continue Right now, as we begin the final hour of the Monday edition with Armando Salguero of Outkick.com, he's been covering this at the site. Armando, good to see you. Hope you had a great weekend. I had a good weekend. I wouldn't say it was a great weekend, but, you know, I'll take good weekends anytime I can have one. Good uh, weekend for Deshaun Watson, all things considered. Good weekend for Deshaun Watson. Not such a good Monday. He was not, from what I've been told, happy that he is being suspended for six games. Having said that, I think that if you read the decision, um, you, I, I come away feeling like he got off kind of light. Yes, we all, and, we all do here as well. Right. And, and I have significant issues with not so much the, the, the decision, but also how it was reached. And FYI, you know, we, I'm sure you guys all had television training. Once upon a time, I worked at ESPN. I have the, um, the decision <laughs> right here. I hold in my hand. The TV's playing tricks on you. <laughs> yeah, former NFL judge. Uh, former federal judge Sue L. Robinson's decision. It's a 16-page report. It's uh, interesting reading. The, the entire text is on outkick.com if you're interested in going to read it. But, well, I'll just let you guys ask me questions. But I've well, got some issues. <laughs> well, one of, uh, a, few, a few things in this um, that, that we have – Taken away, but the, but again, like we agree, it, the the six games seems light, given the fact that she makes it very clear in this that she found no reason not to believe uh, those uh, the the women in this case, and that something did happen, uh, more likely than not, with with all of this. But yet she points to several other mitigating factors as to why she came to a solution of six games, which one of them is. Uh, past suspensions, but she also points to uh, the, the fact that he has settled these cases uh, all but one, and the fact that uh, she also mentions the 2021 season 
in this and that he did not play and that had he been on the commissioner's exempt list or the, the, yeah, the leave list, he would have uh, been granted uh, credit for, if not time served, he, if, if you wanted to go heavier here, it would have been the full season credited for games missed. I found that very odd. Odd? Uh, <laughs> you know, the NFL had a three-pronged case, and according to the judge herself, the independent disciplinary officer, the NFL proved it's three-pronged case. The NFL alleged that Deshaun Watson is was guilty of sexual assault, and she agreed. The NFL alleged that Deshaun Watson um, caused, what was it, conduct that was dangerous to himself and other individuals, and she agreed. The NFL alleged that Deshaun Watson engaged in conduct that was detrimental uh, to the league, you know, to the team. And she agreed. So basically she's saying everything that the NFL is saying is true. She agreed and believed everything that the witnesses were telling her. She basically dismissed the categorical denial by Deshaun Watson saying that he hadn't done anything wrong and had never even disrespected a woman. She dismissed that out of hand as as not plausible. And then still, despite this preponderance and mountain of evidence, there's only a six-game suspension. It's, it's stunning to me. What do you think the NFL will do now with Roger Goodell holding – the power to review and revise this or to pass it on to someone out of his office to review and revise this? Yeah, Paul. So the NFL has three days to appeal officially. And that means 9 a.m. on, let's see, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Wednesday, um, three days. And if they choose that option, then the commissioner himself has the option of ruling on on appeal or designating someone to rule on his behalf. My guess is he will not be ruling on anything. If the NFL appeals, and that's still an if, it, he is going to pick someone to go ahead and, and you know, hand down the final verdict. Having said that, the NFL is in a tough situation. The NFL set this, this, this process up. I believe it was, uh, you know, what was it? 2014. Uh, and then again in 2018, so that Roger Goodell would be out of the picture and out of the business of handing down sanctions to the players of the league. So it's tough for the NFL to disagree on the one hand with the decision and appeal. And then on the other hand, say that this is the right way to do it. And the process is solid and good as we've authored it. It's just that it, it, it's a, it's a rock and a hard place that the NFL finds itself in.
Armando Salguero, our guest from Outkick.com. So do we think if he does pass it off to somebody in his office that they will, in fact, be acting independently? Or will they be doing the will of the league and its commissioner and have their name attached to this, but actually be doing the will of the commissioner? Yeah, I mean, that that we're, we're going into... I know what someone what someone is thinking territory, and I know what's in someone's heart. What's territory. your best What's your best guess, though? My best guess is that if they pick someone, that person will give every vibe of being independent, and you know, ultimately, um, fine for a harsher penalty. Armando, uh, the the other thing that I I would have to consider if I'm Goodell, if I'm the league, is this, if you're going to appeal, if you're going to change what Judge Robinson laid out this morning, you're also going to face the appeals process in court. I think similar, the NFLPA would treat it similar in similar fashion to what happened with Brady. Uh, now, we, the appeals court denied... Uh, uh, Brady's case there, the NFLPA's case on that suspension, and uh, they 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 pointed to the CBA and pointed to the rules in place that said Goodell had the authority. But given given the fact that the reports were a month ago or so that they wanted to get this out of the way before the season got here, if that's true, if you come down with a harsh sentence like you want, you're facing much further litigation that's only going to drag the story out longer. I'm not saying it's it's the right thing to do to just bury it. But in the court of public opinion, do you think they consider that and just get it out of the way? This is a great point brought up by you, by you Jonathan, and I'm going to take credit for it, so thank you. Okay, go ahead. Thank, Enjoy. You. thank you very much. No, but here here's the thing. Um, Everything you said is true. The NFL risks litigation if they appeal this and then through the appeal process, something worse happens for Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson can then sue the NFL. And the NFL is not afraid of litigation. The NFL wins litigation. The NFL is very good at litigation. But the NFL is afraid of bad public relations. And it is bad public relations for the NFL if they appeal, they, you know, they they hurt Deshaun Watson more. He goes to court and he's on the field the first game of the season for the Cleveland Browns because the appeal has not, uh, the court hearing has not been heard. And it's not going to be heard for a while. And not only is he on the field for the first game, he might be on the field for all season long. And suddenly what the NFL is looking at is we tried to, you know, exact a greater punishment. And it looks like PR, public relations, admittedly, it looks like he's actually gotten off lighter by being on the field when he was supposed to be uh, obviously suspended. 
Armando, I'm going to read you a couple lines from the statement from D and Jimmy Haslam of the Cleveland Browns and, and get your response. <clears throat> we respect Judge Robinson's decision and at the same time empathize and understand that there have been many individuals triggered throughout this process. We know Deshaun is remorseful that this situation has caused much heartache to many, and he will continue he will continue the work needed to show who he is on and off the field. Very careful to continue the line about Deshaun Watson saying to the media he has no regrets and not taking really any responsibility in all of this. What did you make of the statement from the Cleveland Browns, which I think was very cleverly worded by them? Really? I, I thought it, it it opened the door to contradiction because, Chad, they're saying that Deshaun Watson is showing remorse. And here on page 14 of this decision, Judge Robinson writes, with respect to what the appropriate discipline should be, I note that there are aggravating factors applicable to Mr. Watson. That is his lack of expressed remorse and his tardy notice to the NFL of the first filed lawsuit. So the judge is memorializing that Deshaun Watson is not and was not at any point during this investigation remorseful. So what is this remorse stuff? Well, I think it's... I think it's very clever wording gymnastics by them because someone replied to me on Twitter and said the same thing. I think there's a difference, Armando, between personal regret over doing something and then sitting back and seeing the response to something you feel like you didn't do, but I'm remorseful that this situation... Note, I'm not remorseful. We know Deshaun is remorseful that this situation has caused so much heartache. Not Deshaun is remorseful that his actions caused heartache. Not remorseful that Deshaun did something to cause harm or heartache. But he's sitting back saying, hey, I'm really sad that people see this story and are are, are hurt by it, or as the Browns use the word, triggered by it. I think they're, it's very clever, but it's two different d- d- distinctions by them. Yeah, and that is quite possibly the case. But the Cleveland Browns are a football team, not a gymnastics team, and certainly not a verbal gymnastics team. And they stink at the verbal gymnastics because the bottom line is, has Deshaun Watson apologized to any of these women? No. Has Deshaun Watson shown remorse for his actions, which by definition and in this uh, decision is defined as including sexual assault. The answer to that is no. So this remorse stuff and uh, the thesaurus of remorse and what it might be and is there a there there and what does is really uh, mean? Nobody's buying this. I've got Nobody. no issue with the thesaurus of remorse that you're saying. My point is the word situation. If they said we know Deshaun Watson is remorseful that he that these that he did this is different. Being remorseful over the situation, I think, are, are two different things. Here's what I'd like to know, Armando. I don't think we'll ever know. Was he asked to apologize as part of his uh, settlement with these women? 
I wonder if that was – now, we'll never know because there's probably an NDA. There definitely But I NDA. wonder if he had to own up to anything as part of it because that happens a lot of times in settlement. A handwritten apology, uh, a Phone notice call. to them that you acknowledge that you did something wrong. That's kind of the next level of this, but I wonder if we'll ever know any of those things. Probably not. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. I doubt that we'll ever know those things. Uh, and – Honestly, um, I, I'm more caught up in reading a report that has the word erection in it. I'm like, what the? Dude, I signed up to cover football. It's, I, you know, not proctology. Just note that it's common. I, I noticed that in the report also that, hey, this actually, Sue L. Rahm said it right. You know, this is a common thing that happens during massages. She did note that. In there, that, that I, that's not abnormal. That part of it, I, I, I mean, that kind of tripped me up. I got to be yeah. honest with you. Hey, she did give him. She did give him uh, uh, credit, if you want to call it that, for settling these cases. She called it restitution. Uh, that helped him, based on the way she she worded this sixteen-page uh, document this morning. And it helped him. They shot out last year, which yeah. we agree here this is not stupid. He said it last year. Because- Mitigating circumstances is what she called it. Yeah, absolutely. Armando, thank you as always. Uh, a big news day. We, we wanted to have you on to get perspective there and your take. Great work at the site as well, which has been hopping with updates all day. Armando, I am not remorseful that we had you on today. I can I can say that. No no verbal gymnastics needed. Not remorseful at all. Chad is no gymnast. But are you remorseful of the situation? <laughs> That's the question. No, I, neither. The, the, I would not use the word. I would not use the term remorse to describe anything that just happened in this segment. So uh, we're very happy to have you on. All right, guys. Take care. Good to see you. Armando Salguero there. Check out his great work at Outkick.com. Coming up, we turn the page to college football. Brett McMurphy, one of the best at breaking the news in the Power Five and beyond. He's with us next to discuss the Big Ten, the SEC, realignment, where we're headed, all of it, plus some college football discussion on the field. Next on Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. He's one of the best college football reporters across the country, and he's with us on Outkick 360, Brett McMurphy of the Action Network. He's their college football insider, and he joins us now by phone. Brett, great to have you on the show, man. Hope you're doing well. Thanks. Good afternoon, guys. How, uh, thank you. Uh, how would you describe the state of, of college football? Is the industry insider you spoke with, uh, I know, compared it to Game of Thrones. Do you think... You think that points in a, in the right direction if we were trying to give a definition of someone who had never seen the sport of what was going on? Uh, maybe Game of Thrones without the without the dragons. Okay. That's, a, that's probably a better <laughs> and, analogy. And nudity that we're aware of also. <laughs> no dragons, bad. no nudity, well, but I don't everything know. else. 
<laughs> we, we may have that. Yeah. Uh, I would, I would, uh, you know, I would, a lot of people would compare it to the wild, wild West, but I don't want to insult the wild, wild West, <laughs> but it's pretty much anything goes at this point. Um, you know, on the field, off the field, uh, there, there's nobody policing the sport. There's no, nobody that oversees what's, what's best for the sport. And, and I understand why I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and put blame on any specific conference. I mean, if I'm the SEC, I'm going to, they're going to do what's best for the SEC. Same with the big 10, same with the PAC 12, the big 12, et cetera. And so because of that, you've seen, you know, this realignment stuff uh, come up again, obviously the latest USC and UCLA to the big 10. Uh, geography does not if, if we ever thought it mattered we know 100 now that it does not matter at all and because of that i think we're going to see these these super conferences mega conferences greg sankey at sec media days uh, a couple weeks ago said you know we we are a we are a super super league we have been a super league and i, I agree with that and i think we're going to end up we've got five power five conferences now before that there were six automatic qualifying conferences that qualified for the bcs may the bcs rest in peace and i think uh in the very near future we're going to be down to four power conferences and do we ultimately get the two power conferences a lot of people think that that's the end game we'll have to see i'm i'm not as pessim pessimistic because i know what that would mean for the rest of college football but i certainly think uh five power conferences is not going to be um, surviving for, for the next few years. And I think we'll be down to four and then see what happens after that. Well, and it sounds crazy. I'm honestly becoming a little bit bored with the SEC and Big Ten talk because they're so well set up to do whatever they want now moving forward. But this Big 12 versus Pac-12, the brewing feud, does interest me, Brett. And, and I'm curious, when you look at Brett Yormark in the Big 12 – George Klyavkov and the Pac-12 exchanging, you know, verbal blows to one another. Who actually has the stronger hand right now? When they go to networks, when they go to try to land the next TV contract, when you look at existing and future teams with, with both conferences, who's got the better situation? Uh, what, what you said is key. When you're talking about the future, I think the who has the advantage in the future is the Big 12. If you just look at each conference now separately and compare to each conference, uh, you know, look, you could get metrics to say the Pac-12 is better. It's got better media markets. You could look at the Big 12 and say, okay, uh, look at success on the field last year. You had, you know, including, uh, you know, the teams that are joining the Big 12 next year, UCF, Houston, Cincinnati, and BYU, you had five or six Big 12 teams in the top 25 final AP poll. You had one from the Pac-12. Um, if you look at the future, though, which I think is what you're alluding to, the Pac-12 is only going to remain a conference if the Big Ten does not expand anymore. Because once the Big Ten adds any more teams from the Pac-12, there's no reason for the remaining schools to stay in the Big, excuse me, to stay in the Pac-12. They then would be very interested in the Big 12 if they aren't already. Um, because at that point, the value of the Big 12 media rights deal would obviously be better of whatever is left of the Pac-12. And also the Pac-12 media rights is up, um, you know, next year. Their 30-day their exclusive window with ESPN and Fox ends this week. So then at that point, 
you know, they're going to find out what the value of their media rights is worth without USC and UCLA. So if you're Oregon, if you're Washington, if you're even Stanford and Klyovkov comes to you and says, okay, here's our new deal. We're going to be, it's worth 30 million, 40 million, whatever the number is they come up with. Are you going to sign that and lock your, lock your media rights up for five, six years or more? When you know the Big Ten could pick up the phone at any second and you would be making a hundred million. That's what's going to be fascinating to see what happens. And, you know, look, everyone I've talked to says the Big Ten is not done. Now, does that mean they're going to add somebody tomorrow or next week? Absolutely not. Will they add somebody within the next couple of years? I would be very confident of that. And George Klyovkov made a great point about, you know, he's heard that there's some complaints from UCLA about, you know, the travel for this for the student athletes and kind of the hardships of being, you know, in the Big Ten conference now. He's explaining exactly why the Big Ten is going to go at more teams out west. So USC and UCLA is not put on an island and they kind of have their Big Ten West kind of, if you will, part of the conference. Does that mean they had two more? Does that mean they had four more? I don't know. I was told that the Big Ten does not have a specific number they're going for. Obviously, Notre Dame's the golden goose that everybody wants. The Big Ten would love to have them. Um, but if I, you know, to answer your initial question, I would, you know, if I had a wager on who is going to be the stronger conference, you know, three, four years from now, I'm going to say the Big 12 because I don't think the Big Ten's done. And the Big Ten doesn't have any interest in anybody from the Big 12. So that's kind of good news for them. The ACC is kind of off the side. We haven't even talked about them. They're stuck in their their grant of rights deal for the next 14 years. So even if those schools, you know, wanted to leave, which I'm sure they could, or excuse me, I'm sure they would if they could, because again, their revenue is going to be less than half, maybe a third of what the SEC and Big Ten will be. They're kind of stuck together. It's like, I don't know if you guys are old enough, the old meatloaf song, Paradise by the Dashboard Light. I swear I'll love you till the end of time. And then the deal's done. And they're like, I'm praying for the end of time. That kind of sums up the ACC grant of rights right That's there. Great. Brett McMurphy, our guest, he's the college football insider for the Action Network. So you're, you're I, I don't know what conference you are. You can be whatever you want. Set Notre Dame aside. What's the most valuable program to you? If you're shopping, who do you want based on uh, brand, television market, all the ingredients that Dame go in there, it. taking Notre yeah. Dame out of it. Who's the next best commodity you can go get? For which league? I, you, you pick. You're a league well, it, it, who, it wants, depends, who wants somebody. If, yeah. I, I, so I, I would SEC, go both. Uh, one, one for SEC, one for Big Ten. If you're, if you're the SEC... They, you know, and Greg Sankey brought this out. They, they are continue, contiguous states, easy for me to say. So I don't, think you, I don't think the SEC has any interest in Oregon or Washington or anything like that. I think if the schools were available in the ACC, the SEC would go for a North Carolina. It would go because they're not currently in that state. They would go for a Virginia or Virginia Tech. Um, I think they would look at a Clemson, a Florida State, a Miami. Obviously, those last three in states where the SEC currently is. Until they took Texas, the SEC did a great job about never adding schools in states where they have current members. Well, that would change. So 
if the S- ACC was not locked into those grant of rights, I think the SEC would take one of those one of those schools. I think the Big Big Ten would prefer to give USC and UCLA some travel park. So I think they would look out west, whether it's in Oregon, a Washington, a Stanford. I think at one time, the Big Ten would also be have an interest in North Carolina. Um, again, they're not in that state. I believe that's the, the biggest state that's not currently in the in the Big Ten or SEC. But now that you've got USC and UCLA, you've got to give them some help out there. And so that's why they that's why they would look west. If I'm a bit if I'm the Big 12, uh, you can't get anybody from the ACC to leave. You're below the SEC and Big Ten, so there's nobody there. So you would look to the Pac-12. You would look at an Arizona, an Arizona State, a Colorado, or a Utah. Um, if you're the Pac-12, you would try to take from the Big 12 or maybe try to do a partnership with the ACC. But the challenge is if you go in and get schools from the ACC to kind of merge with the Pac-12, does that open up the grant of rights for the ACC? If that does, then that makes those ACC teams uh, susceptible to get swooped up by the SEC or the Big Ten. So the ACC is kind of stuck there off to the side. So I, I don't know if I answered your question, but no, it's different good. based on yeah, it's different based on each each conference. It's not like you can say, you know, Kansas is the best option for everybody or Oklahoma State or Arizona or whatever. It's based on each different conference, but you're right. And that's the, the thing that makes it challenging. After Notre Dame, there's not an automatic team out there that's like, wow, this is going to add more value to our conference. It's kind of just dependent on the conference and what what their um, what their priorities are, whether it's it's geography or pairing them up with it with other teams within the conference, those sort of things. So when Tennessee decided to to turn state's witness on themselves with the NCAA to fire Jeremy Pruitt and his staff with cause. I was skeptical that it was going to work out uh, when they went down that road. They end up finding, I think, seven or eight of the 18 major violations with their own legal team outside of the NCAA's investigation. But given the notice I of allegations... You. you still there? Yeah, can you hear, can you hear us, Brett? Brickman Murphy, our guest. Brett, we may have you, lost him. Yeah, we may even need to reconnect if possible. We'll find out in just a moment uh, if, he's, if he's back with us. Um, Paul, it's a, it's a good point you bring up, and we'll get back to Tennessee in a moment, on the on the teams. There's not one program Outside that's like Notre, Notre Dame, Dame that yeah. every league would want, which is, in a way, a great thing. <laughs> if you think of it, if well, you're, it if you're a fan of the old system. Well, it makes a whole thing a hell of a lot more system, interesting. Well, yeah, if you're a fan of the old system, it's not like a, Oregon a free-for-all, you know, where you have a draft and well, everyone's and coming over. You know, I think it's easy, if I'm just going to go one team for each conference... I don't think it's easy to pick between Oregon and Washington, which I think those would be the top two for the Big Ten. I don't think it's so much more attractive to me. If you're the SEC, I don't think it's easy to pick between Clemson and North Carolina and Florida State and Miami. Yeah. You know, I mean, those are, you could make an argument either way. Clemson, right now, football wise, of course you want them, but Clemson basketball is not bringing much to the table. The North Carolina brand. Overall, I think it's much stronger. It gives you another state. You're already in South Carolina with South Carolina right now. Brett McMurphy's on was, Brett, I was asking about Tennessee and how they went about firing Jeremy Pruitt with cause and working with the NCAA, turning everything over. I was skeptical at the time, but it, at least with the notice of allegation, it seems to have worked 
based on the wording and how glowing the NCAA, NCAA was about Tennessee's involvement in the, in the investigation. What were your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, look, the NCAA is on its last legs, but it has been consistent um, for a long, long time. If you work with the NCAA, 99 out of 100 times, they will, they will work with you. They will help reduce the penalties. So, yeah, I think it paid off. Um, you know, and it was not a memorable time under Jeremy Pruitt. Uh, 19 losses, 18 level one violations, and only 16 wins. So I really like what Josh Heupel's doing there. Uh, offense is tremendous. They can play a little bit of defense. I think they can be a surprise in the SEC. As far as Vegas is concerned, Tennessee, the fourth highest projected win-loss total, only behind, obviously, Alabama, Georgia, and Texas A&M. So, um, yeah, it's best to kind of – throw yourself at the court, if you will, and hope they take mercy on you and move on. It looks like that's what the, the NCA has decided to do. From the Action Network, Brett McMurphy with us. Brett, have you heard any uh, definitive names that are being discussed to replace Mark Emmert with the NCAA? Uh, I've heard a bunch of names. I don't know if anybody really wants it at this point <laughs> because you don't know. <laughs> I, you know, not actually, actually one time, in my life, I'm not being sarcastic. I just, I just don't, you know, you don't know what the, what is the future of the NCAA? Is there a future of the NCAA? Um, I know a lot of presidents' names, current presidents at uni college universities were mentioned, but, you know, do you really want to leave a university for that, which is so much unknown, where basically the power conferences now are kind of running themselves anyway? So, yeah, I don't, I don't know what they end up doing. Um, that's something we'll have to see that plays out. And as these conferences continue to kind of um, create their own path moving forward, you know, will we even need an NCAA? I, I asked, talked to Kevin Warren at Big Ten Media Days. I, you know, I asked him. He told me, you know, that he thinks all the, all the conference realignment stuff will play out in the next three, three to five years. And I asked him, okay, and let's go forward five years. How many power conferences are there? Two, three, four, five. He said, Brett, I don't know. He said that the market will dictate that. And that basically means TV will dictate that. How much are these, how much are these conferences worth? How much are these brands worth? How much are the colleges are worth? So we could get to a point where we, we don't have the NCAA anymore. Um, a Big Ten coach told me that he thinks down the road, you know, we'll see up to 20 teams in the Big Ten. We'll see up to 20 teams in the SEC. One's on Fox, one's on ESPN. Uh, the, the playoff will be college football's version of the Super Bowl. And then you got six-win teams that will go play in a Tampa Bowl and seven-win teams that will go play in Orlando Bowl. And he said that's going to end up being college football. So in, the, in that scenario, you know, do you really need an NCAA? And if we're only down to two or three power conferences, why would you want an NCAA? You create your own rules regarding eligibility, NIL, et cetera and you kind of manage it yourself. So I'm with you, and you were talking earlier about you know governance of, of college football and, and what's needed with the direction and with leadership. Do you think that the Big Ten SEC, because those are the two conferences right now that matter, and the powers in college sports could come up with a consensus on who should be that czar of college football or who should be that governing body is there an obvious candidate out there that would be agreeable for all sides? Or is the reason we don't have that right now, Brett, because those sides are never going to agree on anything? Well, of course, I would be the perfect commissioner. But, <laughs> yeah, yes. Um, 
you know what? It's not actually that they probably couldn't agree on somebody. It would be like, let's say you three guys are commissioners of your A, B, and C conferences. And now I'm going to come in and I'm going to be commissioner. And now I'm going to be your boss. You aren't going to go for that. Why are you going to hire somebody to be your boss when you guys are at the head of your conferences? And so that's kind of how it is with Sankey and Kevin Warren and the other commissioners. They're in charge of their own little silos, their own little villages. So now why are you going to hire somebody that now has power over you? That's simply why we'll never have a commissioner um, unless we just totally blow up the college model and have something NFL-like. Then maybe you can, you can find somebody. But again, then you're asking these conference commissioners to allow someone to be over them. And I think that's ultimately why we'll never, we'll never have a commissioner or a college football czar, if you will. Brett McMurphy with us. Uh, Pac-12 media days, Brett. The the, the coaches on the field. The, everyone's expecting Whittingham's team at Utah to be excellent. Uh, beyond Utah, uh, I mean, we could put Oregon there too. Where would UCLA stack up? And in your opinion, what's what's Chip Kelly's expectations there now? Uh, you know, I, I would actually put Oregon State fourth. I think the media poll had UCLA fourth. I'd put Oregon State fourth. Um, I'd put UCLA probably fifth. Um, you know, it, it's been uh, fascinating there with Chip. You know, he his contract going back to last January, I think it was January 19th. Not sure on the exact date, but his buyout went from $9 million to zero. And there was some thinking that maybe he was going to get fired on January 19th. Well, he got a new deal on January 16th. You go back a month before that, UCLA, five hours before kickoff, said they couldn't play NC State in the bowl game. There are people, in, especially in Raleigh, North Carolina, that believe that UCLA didn't play the game. They were decimated by, by some injuries. Uh, but, you know, look, I know you guys are at, follow the SEC. LSU was down to 39 players and played their bowl game against Kansas State. They got routed. They had no shot. But you know what? The SEC told LSU, you are not canceling this game. I don't care if you only have 11 players. UCLA, though, uh, they had 40 to 50. They decided, well, they couldn't play because of COVID, injuries, transfers, whatever. Some people, especially in Raleigh, think that UCLA didn't play that game because if UCLA gets it's routed in that bowl game, then Chip Kelly's out the door. If you don't play that game, he's got a, a chance to stick around. They didn't play the game. He gets a new contract. I mean, there's going to be pressure on him. I think a lot. So there are some people that are picking UCLA to be the, the dark horse of the, of the Pac-12 this year. Um, you know, there's, there's people, and I don't know if I necessarily agree with them, but the, their narrative is Chip Kelly was a great, great coach when he was at Oregon because he did things that defenses weren't ready for. Now everybody's seen the spread, everybody's seen up tempo and they figured ways to slow it down and he hasn't been successful. Is that a fair analogy or narrative? I'm not sure, but he hasn't been successful at USC. They expected a lot more success. Um, You know, DTR is back at quarterback. They should be much improved, but I think anything short of a bowl appearance, would be a huge, huge disappointment for UCLA. I think the win total is around eight, eight and a half. Um, some people think that's too low, but we'll have to see. He hadn't done it yet. Maybe this is the year they, they finally break through and then 
you know, move on to the Big Ten and see how that works out. Brett McMurphy has been our guest. You can follow him on Twitter at Brett underscore McMurphy. And, of course, he's a great college football insider for the Action Network and uh, highly recommend following on social if you're not already, but you likely are. Brett, thank you so much. Appreciate you. Thanks, guys. Take care. All right, there's Brett McMurphy. Um, college football certainly kicking off soon. We've got uh, week zero, Bandy in Hawaii. I'm always conflicted. I've got this countdown clock, and I've got one that counts down to the kickoff of the SEC season. Would you guys start it with Vanderbilt, Hawaii, or would you start it in week one, the countdown? I'd start it earlier than that. I'd start it that morning with Northwestern and Nebraska in Dublin, Ireland. No, the SEC, I'm saying. For the SEC? you got to start it with Van. I mean, it's just SEC team playing a game. All right. Week zero. <laughs> week zero it is. I'm, and you know nobody hates the <laughs> week zero Thursday concept night. more than I do. I'd start with Mississippi State and Law Tech that Thursday night following. Uh-oh. I mean, I'm going to be watching uh, all those games on week zero. So, I mean, I'm the wrong one to ask because I'm going to stay up late night and probably watch the entirety I, of a 930 I, central time kickoff between Vandy and Hawaii. I'm watching that game just for the storyline aspect. I'm going to watch. Uh, one way or the other, that – it's a fascinating development, win or lose for Vandy in that game and, and what Clark Lee's trying to build. Coming up, we'll uh, hit the headlines on the Major League Baseball trade deadline, which is coming up uh, tomorrow. We'll tell you what's happened today. And uh, the extension for Debo Samuel. The, all the wide receivers getting their money. That's next Now Kick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Astros have acquired Trey Mancini from the Baltimore Orioles. That's a part of today's news in Major League Baseball. Bummer for Hutton's Orioles. Um, uh, Josh Hader to the Padres. Yeah. Brewers. That's a big one. Padres aren't afraid to go for it. Manny Machado. They've uh, they've acquired some dudes in recent years. And, you know, there's... So who who are we still waiting on that could be dealt? Big name wise, we know Atani's staying, right? Soto, right? I Soto mean, that, is the big. That's one. the big one, but there's no, there's really no word one way or the other. I mean, it's going to take the mother load. The, re- the to report. Get him. So that's the issue. Is who's got got it? There are three teams for Soto, and it's the Cardinals, Padres, and Dodgers. I wonder if the Padres Gosh, gave up any the of what. I wonder if the Padres gave up any of that in the deal maybe. with the Brewers. Yeah, maybe. So it might have taken them out of it. Yankees, I got to give them credit. I mean, they get Ben Attendi, Scott Efros, I think it is, from the Cubs, a reliever, Frankie Montes, a starter from um, the, the A's, and Lou Trevino. So they got two relievers, a starter and an outfielder, which is what they needed, and they did not give up one of their top three minor leaguers who they were trying to preserve. I like where they are now. They got what they needed. Do or die. I mean, they're, 
They did exactly what they need. If they can't do it now, they're not good enough. Braves making any moves, Chad? Uh, they, well, they got back uh, Adrianza, who was a platoon role player a year ago, who's batting a cool 179 with the Nationals this year. Nice. <laughs> so he's, uh, until Albies gets healthy, he's just another guy they can plug in at second. They tried Robinson Cano. That didn't work out. He's going down or away or whatever. They cut, cut him. him. Yeah. So Adrian's is the only guy. I'd, I'd love to see them make a big splash with someone, but the rumors were Benintendi gone to the Yankees. Otani not being moved. Yep. Not heard a single reference to Soto, even though that would be amazing for the Braves. So I'm sure they're going to do something. They made some the no big splash moves a year ago, but they all worked out. Jock Peterson, Eddie Rosario, uh, Solaire, those were all trade deadline guys that really crushed it for them uh, on in the World Solaire Series run. Amazing. So they're going to do something, but at this point, I don't see any big splash moves being made. Debo Samuel wanted to be traded at one point, and now he's in San Francisco on a new. Three-year extended contract, nearly $60 million in guaranteed money for the star wideout who cashed in, doing more than just catching the football. And he's going to be paid now to run the football as well as catch it. He's got $650,000 in incentives. He can hit it three times in the four years, and it's based on rushing. It's a strictly a rushing incentive. It's like... Uh, 280 or 380 yards rushing or three touchdowns or something like that. It's pretty quirky. Very interesting. 11 receivers signing new deals this offseason worth at least $20 million per season on average. That's 11 of the top 16 annual average salary receivers. It's a good time to be a good wide receiver. And A.J. Brown, you know, we'll throwing to, it back at the Titans. He can't let it go. We'll get to talk about said, this more tomorrow. He said, you know, look, we all got roughly the same deal. I'm the only one that got traded, and you're saying it's he, on me. He is the Freddie Freeman of uh, football. He can't let the X go. He still loves the Titans so much. Debo Samuel led the NFL in yards per reception last year at over 18. Catch us tomorrow full of news and interviews on Outkick 360. Don't block the box. Do lock your locks.